Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Now, Lord, we ask you to release a spirit of wisdom and revelation on the word. That we would comprehend what Jesus' teachings were in that day and are to our hearts now as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Come, Holy Spirit, and lighten the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, I pray, hold my hand, let me speak as an oracle, that I would declare rightly the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Okay. Matthew 6. We're, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. I think we're on like part 10. We might go 20 parts before it's all said and done. But I'm getting a lot out of it, so we might go 30 parts. You never know. So uh, last week, I kind of gave us an overview on Matthew 6, kind of the big thought behind what's going on here, what Jesus is teaching. And, and that big thought is priestliness. And what it really means is living your life unto God first. Uh, as a kingdom of priests, we live unto God, and then everything, everything else as we live unto men is through the lens of our relationship with God. So we love, we serve, we bless, we give, not even primarily for man's blessing. We do all those things because of love for God. And as our hearts are moved in love, and as we serve and minister to the heart of God, as we're blessing others, that too is a ministry to His heart. So we bless, serve, give, And do all these things to bless the Lord, not for man's praise or man's approval, and not even primarily for man's blessing, though people get blessed through our service and our giving and our our whatever that we do for them. So that was last week. Now this week, what I want to do is begin to work through the verses. And uh, I say this from time to time, but I am always so impressed with the Word, because it's alive. And, uh, you know, I find that the more I just continue to knock and, and chip away at it and just stare at the verses, familiar verses that I've spent hours and hours in, all of a sudden the thing will just expand right in front of me. I go, whoa, I've never thought or seen that before. And that is the uh, beauty, the benefit, and the challenge of studying and preaching from a living word. You could read Hemingway, you could read, name the author, and it would be the same thing every single time. You can read Holy Spirit, and it's 27 levels, and it's powerful. And you can read something a hundred times, and 101, bam, it opens up to you, and the spirit of revelation rests on you. So, uh, I had that happen to me this week, as I was staring at Matthew 6, I was like, Really, um, just being ministered to by the Lord in terms of what he's doing here in Matthew 6. Now, I said last week, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus' uh, sort of strain of teaching is, you've heard it said, but I say. In other words, you've heard it taught, but I'm teaching uh, by the Holy Spirit. I'm teaching the truth of what these things are from the law. Well, in Matthew 6... He says, don't do it the way you've seen it done. So in Matthew 5, it's, it's, uh, you've heard it said, but I say. In Matthew 6, is you've seen it done, but do it this way. It's, it's, 
the, the nuance is on the, uh, the practice of righteousness. Now, in verse 1 of Matthew 6, Jesus is going to set up the entire rest of the chapter. He's, he's, he's t- taking a turn in the sermon, and whereas before he was sort of uh, reinterpreting features that, they, that they'd been taught wrongly about, now he's moving to how to live your life, how to live these things out. And Matthew 6, 1 is sort of the heading now for the whole rest of the chapter, for the next 34 verses. It's a, a new thought. And so here's what he says. The New King James says it this way. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the New American Standard and the NIV both render it just slightly slightly different, and the difference is actually pretty important. Whereas the New King James says charitable deeds, the New American Standard says practicing righteousness. So it's a much broader idea. So the New American Standard reads this way, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. It's the same thought, but rather it being the narrow concept of charitable deeds, serving and giving solely, it's talking about all your righteous deeds. Whatever you do, that's godly. He goes, I'm giving you a main idea here. Don't do it to be seen by people. And that, beloved, is a core instruction and admonition from the Lord for all that we do our whole life. Don't do it for men's approval. That is so, so, so critical. And it's challenging because we live in a country and in a culture that really is built on promotion by getting the approval of men. You work hard for people and people promote you. That's kind of the the American way, the corporate mentality. But the Lord says, no, don't actually do your good deeds, your righteousness for men's approval. Do it for God. Now, as we went over last week, the concept of priestliness is at the core of that. We live unto the Father, and the Father is the one who is in charge of our promotion. Amen. The Father is the one that we're blessing and serving and giving and fasting and praying and forgiving others for. We're doing it for the Father. Firstly, for the Father. And so there's several thoughts here that I want to lay out. Number one is this. The introduction of God as Father, this is where we get it in the New Testament. He mentions God as Father once in Matthew 5, ten times in Matthew 6. Father. Father. What's interesting is he says God and talks about God as Father more in Matthew 6 than the entire Old Testament references God as Father. So Jesus, God in the flesh, 
the express image of the Father stands before the people and says, the motivator for your righteousness must be your relationship with the Father. And the, the, sort of the, parent, the parentheses is kind of like this. And oh yeah, he's a father. He's a father who sees. He's a father who knows. He's a father who cares. And he's a father who rewards. He's a father. And I'm just trying to get your mind around, get your mind around first century Jewish people living under the law, living under the specter of pharisaical teaching that's really tyrannical. And here's Jesus. He goes, you've heard it said, but I say, you've seen it done, but I tell you to do it differently because there's a father who loves you. There's a father who cares. There's a father who sees, and there's a father who rewards. See, if we don't comprehend this lens of the father who sees our lives, the father who cares about our lives, the father who's encouraging us, the father who wants to reward us, if we don't comprehend that, we will live our whole life with a servanthood slave mentality with a performance identity, a, a, a slave identity and a performance mentality is what I want to say, rather than the idea that we're living for the love of a father who's tender, who's kind, who showed exactly what he was like in the person of Jesus Christ. The father sees, the father cares. The father loves and the father rewards. The father rewards. Listen, you've never been so safe as you are in Christ because your dad has got this. Your father has got this. The safety and the courage and the confidence that's found in the revelation that we are living our lives now To bless dad, to bless the father, it's incredible. I mean, your heart will settle down in the revelation of love. Because, you know, it's all in, it's in all of us. You know, it's, think about it. Think about your kids. Think about when you were a kid. It's, you know, whatever you're doing. I I mean, I look at my kids. Hey, dad, look. And, you know, the kids will do whatever. You know, they'll draw on a a piece of paper with a crayon and stick figures. They go, look, at it's a masterpiece for you, Dad. I've never taken those masterpieces and gone, this kind of stinks. Stick figures and crayons? What are you, three? You know, throwing it away. Every time, whoa, look at that. Everything that we do for the Father is that same kind of, he goes, you are so precious. Yeah, our little righteous works that we do for love, out of love, it's stick figures and crayons. But he likes it. Come on, it's halfway cartwheels. He likes it. Cricket feet, you know, <laughs> you know. Looks like a somersault more than a cartwheel. He likes it. 
all the little ballet performances, all the wrestling moves. My sons, one of them is really into, he's into his karate moves. Watch this, Dad. Man, I'm scared. It's awesome. He's going to go on to say in Matthew 7, if you have an evil heart, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Father gives good things to his kids. You've got to get the lens of the Father. Because otherwise, you'll make this a whole other list of do's and don'ts out of a performance mentality, trying to make God like you. He goes, no, you don't get it. The Father already likes you. He already likes you. He likes you. Ten times in one chapter. He... In one chapter, it's more than the entire Old Testament. The Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. Do you think he's trying to make a point? The Father. Huge point. Huge lens. We've got to come at these, what, he's, what he's doing here. So he goes, don't do your righteous works for men. Do them for the Father. Not to get his approval, but because you got his approval. See, if we understood that even our littlest little righteous deed blessed him, man, we would make stick figure things all over. Which, look at this, Dad. Look at this, Dad. Every time he's going, wow, ooh, ah, I love it. It's true. All of our little righteous works that we do to bless him, he receives it. We're not trying to gain his approval. We're just trying to tell him, I love you, Dad. I'll pick up the piece of paper in the hallway. Because I want to minister to you. I'll choose to forgive when I've been wronged. Because I want to love you. I'm going to pray and seek your favor on someone else's life. Because I love you, Dad. I love you, Abba. I love you, Father. And he goes, and I love you. And I receive it. See, the Father who sees in secret, he's going to reward openly. That's the other big part. He goes, you're doing it for the father that likes you. And there's a day coming. He's actually going to reward every little act done for him in secret. Every little one. You and I forgot them. We don't have the bandwidth to remember everything we've done for God, for the love of God. We, don't, we, we can't. We, there's no way. You couldn't. He remembers every single one of them. That's going to be a fun day. You're going to walk up. He's going to go, there you are. I like you. And we're going to go. He goes, I've been waiting for this moment. Come here. We walk up. We go, me? He goes, oh, yeah. Come here. Let's look at the book. And he's going to start going down the list of everything you've done out of a heart of love. For him. Oh, I remember that time. Yeah, you were 19 years old. That was so sweet. You just prayed that little prayer for that person. Yes, I love that. We're going to be going like, you remember? He goes, I remember all of it. Oh, what a day. It's a good day. That's going to be a great day. Eternal father with joy in his heart and gladness in his eyes, staring at you and walking you through every single time you loved him 
through serving, giving, blessing, praying, fasting. <sighs> Can't wait. That's priestliness. We live for the Father. We live unto the Father. So that's the lens. Now here's what he's doing through the rest, or let me say through the next 18 verses to verse 18. He goes, now, I'm telling you, don't do your righteous deeds in front of men to be seen by men. If you do that, you have no reward from your father. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us three examples. He's going to go, for instance, giving. For instance, prayer. For instance, fasting. Don't do those the way that the hypocrites do them. Do them unto your father. That's what he does through verse 18. He goes, don't do it like they do it. So when you give, don't do it their way, do it this way. When you pray, don't do it their way, do it this way. When you fast, don't do it their way, do it this way. That's what you're getting in the next 18 verses. It's really, really simple. So let's look at it. Verse 2. Here we go. He goes, don't do your, verse 1, he goes, don't do your righteous deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward. Verse 2, therefore, or for instance, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself, I love that, will himself reward you openly. Now, this is an interesting thought. But right here in Matthew 6, Jesus is not freshly calling us to righteous activity. He's actually assuming that we're already engaging in righteous activity. He says, when you do a charitable deed. He goes, and then he goes on, when you fast, when you pray. In other words, it's the assumption that this is the norm for living out righteousness. That's a big point. Oftentimes when I've taught Sermon on the Mount, I go through the seven areas that I see that are identified in the, in the text and I start going, okay, this is how you got to do giving. Okay, this is how you got to do serving. Okay, this is how you got to do prayer. But Jesus' angle isn't even so much, here's how you pray or here's how you serve or here's how you give. Jesus' angle is, since you're doing these things already, do them with the right heart. Now, I understand... In 20th, 21st century America, reading the Sermon on the Mount, the concept of continuously giving to the poor, continuously praying, and continuously fasting and forgiving and, and living this way, that might seem like, whoa, super spiritual Christianity. But Jesus, in his first sermon, is assuming that's the norm. Come on now. <laughs> when you, when you, when you. He's not going, I want to encourage everybody. I know you don't really pray, but come on, let's all get on board. He's not preaching a motivational message to try to get people to give or to pray or to fast. 
He's assuming it's normative. When you do a charitable deed, when you give to the poor, that's, that's what this charitable deed is. The, the Greek word is actually the word for alms. When you give your alms, when you give to the poor, don't do it like the, the hypocrites. Now, most commentators will tell you that there's not really a record of the Pharisees showing up and blowing a trumpet and saying, dun, dun, I'm now giving to the poor. But what they did do was they, they made sure their giving to the poor happened in two key places, in front of the synagogue and in front of everybody on the street. They wanted everybody to see that they were giving. They were giving to the poor. They're taking care of the poor. Jesus is dealing with two facets of self-righteousness here. First one is, don't do it to be seen by men. And then the second one is, he goes, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I always thought that, I just, you know, I, for a long time I was like, don't let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. It's like, okay, one hand in the pocket, close my eyes, Ugh. Okay, I don't know what I just did. You know, I mean, what does he mean? Is it, you know, put a bunch of bills on the floor, close your eyes and grab some, and then you go, don't know what you gave. You know, how, how do I not let myself know what I'm doing? What he's doing is dealing with two, the two sides of self-righteousness. The first side is doing things and making sure others know about it. Now, most of us aren't that brash. Most of us don't come down, put a check in the offering, and turn around and go back to our seat and go, I just gave 500 bucks. Five, zero, zero. How much did you give? Oh, yeah, I gave 500. Praise God. Most of us don't do that. Some do. Maybe not in that way. They drop the hint, you know, privately to a few friends. Yeah, I just really stretched this week. Just really wanted to give as much as I could. Gave $1,000 to the Lord. Just believing for a blessing. Praise God. And they're logging in other people. They're trying to log in other people's minds how righteous they are through their giving. That's probably not most people's thing because we don't really appreciate that when somebody sits there and talks about how great they are and how righteous they are. The other one is probably the bigger issue with most. And it's, it's cloaked in this little phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Th- that little phrase is an important phrase because it's actually talking about you not taking a record of your own righteous acts. Because what we're more likely to do than sit down on the row and tell everybody what we just gave, we're more likely to put the check in sit back on the row, and internally put a checkbox in that little area of our heart where we say, I'm righteous because I just gave. I'm good because what I just did. And we're more likely to take an account of our spirituality by our actions and then justify ourselves and imagine ourselves to be righteous by what we do rather than righteous by the blood of Jesus. And so what we'll tend to do is in self-righteousness, we internally puff ourselves up, keeping a record of our rights. 
Are the right things we've done is what I mean. And that's what he's nailing. He, the, the hypocrites, which we'll talk about that term in just a minute, the Pharisees and the scribes, they did, most of what they did was public and it was, it was making their heart feel good internally. But for, I think for us in the, in the 21st century here, our issue is what do we do that we internalize and say, I am righteous. And we carry a bit of self-righteousness because of our uh, keeping a log of the good things we've done. That's what he means. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You do this for your father. You, you do this for the Lord. You don't let anybody else know, and don't even keep a record of it yourself. I'm not saying don't balance your checkbook. What I'm saying is don't log it in your own heart as what the means are to your own righteousness. And I, I tell you what, as I started letting that lamp shine on me, come on, I started realizing, ooh, whoa. How often am I just like the Pharisee who's there giving his offering? And he goes, thank God I'm not like him. I give all these alms. I fast once a week. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that I'm righteous. And I'm not like that sinner over there. And the other guys over there going, mercy. Have mercy on me. And the Lord says the one that was asking for mercy was justified. And the one that was justifying himself was condemned. See, when we log our righteous deeds, we're falling into the trap of the Pharisee. Where we think that what we've done in righteous acts is what justifies us. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus is your only justification. You can't add anything to it. You can't add anything to God dying in the flesh and shedding his blood for sin. What could you possibly add to that? That's why he says all your righteous works are as filthy rags. So we don't do our righteousness for men to see, and we don't do our righteousness to log it in our own heart to sort of justify ourselves. We do righteousness because we love him. We love him. He loves us, and we love him back. That's why we give. If we have a low revelation of love, we will not be able to operate in this righteousness he's calling us to. But if we have a high revelation of love, we will fully give our hearts away. A lover will outserve a, a servant, a worker mentality, ten times out of ten. And that's what he's looking for, is hearts alive in love that are completely abandoned to him. Let me tell you something. When you love him, he says, you will keep my commandments. He's not saying, prove to me that you love me by working so I can know that you really love me. He's going, no, if you're in love with me, you'll just, you'll just do everything I ask. Like, not even a problem, because you love me. Out of love being the motivator. And that's the key, beloved, is the revelation of love to the Father as the motivator of the heart in relationship to doing righteous works. Love of the Father being the compeller. It's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Love compels us. The love of Christ, it constrains us. It controls us, different versions. Compelling, constraining, controlling love of Christ that moves in us. From there, from that well, is how we do righteousness. 
not for other people's approval, other people's status assessments, and not to justify ourselves checking our little religious boxes. So Jesus uses this term, hypocrites. He says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. The sounding of the trumpet was simply them making a big show. It's proverbial. What he's saying, it's, it's proverbial. They didn't necessarily show up with trumpets. But they made a big show when they gave. He goes, don't be like the hypocrites. Now what's interesting is, the word for hypocrites, hypocrites, if you're a Greek guy, then I just messed that up bad. But, hypocrites, something like that. It's the word, it's the term they use to describe actors. The actors in, in, the, in, in the Greek theater, in the Roman theaters, they would have these huge masks that they would wear. and They had these, uh, all these contraptions and these huge outfits. And, and so they would, it was obvious that, that wasn't really who the person was. This outside, this external show... You know, everybody knew this was some, somebody portraying something else is the idea. And so this word for actors, it became known as the word for hypocrites, the word for liars, dissemblers, liars, fakes. And Jesus Christ, it's wild, but in Matthew 5, he introduces it. And he's the only one in the New Testament that uses it. And think about this. God in the flesh shows up and he says, don't be like all the religious leaders. They're all actors. I mean, they're all fakes. You've heard it said, but I say, you've seen them do, but I tell you, don't do it like that. These hypocrites. 20 times in the New Testament, the word hypocritus is used. Every time it's Jesus. Every time it's in the Gospels. Every time it's about the Pharisees and the scribes. And so what is Jesus saying a, a, a hypocritus is? What is he saying a hypocrite is? He's saying a hypocrite is one that actually does the righteous deed with the wrong heart motive. What we've, what we've uh, sort of made hi- hypocrites to be in our day is somebody who tries to look like they're righteous, but they do a bunch of sin. And I think that's right. But what Jesus said they were was guys who were actually giving and actually doing the righteous thing for the completely wrong motivation. And for those of us that are in the church, when we get that definition of hypocrisy... That demands us to really put our heart before the Lord and go, Lord, search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me because I don't want it. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be just a show. I want to be the real thing. And this is, this is what it boils down to, beloved. If in our Christianity at some point in time, the flame got so low that we just started doing righteous stuff for where we could sort of get in the church or to look good before men or to sort of justify ourselves, there's a huge problem there. 
Because the doing of the righteous deed is to come from a heart that's burning, alive, and in love. If you just do the righteous deed so you can be approved by men or you can justify yourself, that's a hypocritus. You're just acting. That's an incredibly important thought. That's one that I'm taking before the Lord. I'm going, God, I want to burn. I want my heart to burn for you. I want to be so consumed with passion for you and the love that you have for me that whatever I do, I don't even notice because I'm so noticing you. I don't care whether others like it or not because I like you and you like me. I'm not judging my own righteousness. I'm not taking account. I'm not keeping score. I'm just abandoning myself for you. Beloved, that's what he's calling us to. Hearts burning, burning, burning for him. They don't even think it through. They just give, them, they just, they just give themselves away. I love this phrase. The mystics said it in all sorts of different ways, but it's, it's ultimately this. God is trying to reduce us to love. It's not about you. It's just about him. And you love others because he loves you. You burn in love. You're reduced from all these other ambitions, all these other things, all these other distractions. Oh, because your heart's alive. Because the father, the father who sees in secret, I'm living for his pleasures. Man, when I find my heart growing cold, when I find myself going through the motions, when I find my, my mind more preoccupied with what others are saying and how others are relating to me than I am with the affections of the Father, oh, beloved, I have to bring it right back and go, God, I want to burn. I don't want to care. I want to burn. And I'm in that place right now. I'm saying, God, I want to burn for you. I want to burn for you. I don't want to do just good things so people go, oh, that's Billy. He's such a good guy. I want to, I want to do this thing called Christianity because I'm in love. And that's what he's calling us to here. He goes, don't do it like they've been doing it. Don't be an actor like they are. He goes, you don't need a mask. Let your heart get on fire and do it for your father. That's what he's calling us to. Hearts alive in love, compelled, constrained, controlled by love. It's relationship. Do you know what I realize? We make all sorts of rules to compensate for our lack of relationship with God. And that's what they had done. They'd made all these rules to compensate for their lack of relationship. See, if your heart is burning in relationship, the love of God will compel you. You don't need 87 rules. You need love. Somebody's, oh, now, brother, that's a little risky because what are you going to do? Listen, you love people. You correct people where they get off. If there's foolishness, yeah, you help adjust it. But the rule is fall in love and let it compel your heart. Jesus goes, the whole law and the prophets, love God and love your neighbor. He sums it up. He's all those rules, let me give them to you. Love. I go, man, Jesus, that's pretty risky. You're not really creating lots of, you know, 
boundaries, you know, like people got to know exactly what to do. He goes, no, no, if they'll fall in love, their hearts will be compelled. We legislate righteousness, and you can't legislate righteousness. It comes from relationship. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 5. So he said, let's not give the way that the hypocrites give. He goes, and prayer. And when you pray, again, notice it's not a fresh call to prayer. And when you pray, you shall not be like the actors, the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of streets. Why? That they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to the Father who is in a secret place. And your Father who sees in secret rewards you openly. Now, some people have falsely thought that Jesus was uh, putting a prohibition on public prayer of any kind, public gatherings of prayer. That's not what he's doing. You see it throughout the New Testament. There are all sorts of times gathering together and pray, and there's tons of admonitions in, in the Scripture to gather together and fast and pray. What he's putting a prohibition on is praying in public so you can get men's approval. Praying in public for the express reason to be seen by people. And that's what the hypocrites were doing. They did their long prayers in public so people would go, wow, he's spiritual. And what we don't recognize is they were putting their their righteousness on display before men. Why? To leverage people for financial gain. And Jesus spells it out in Matthew 23. He says, you guys are devouring widows' houses. And what they would do is they would go into the, to the woman who just lost her husband and they would cheat them out of the, the riches that the, the husband had left for the woman and they would sort of pay for her, but they would take most of the money for themselves. They were doing it for power, for money. They were living these righteous things in front of people for control. He goes, I want you to live them for love. He goes, don't do it like them. He goes, go to your father in secret. Now, the secret place is anywhere you connect with the Lord. If you close your eyes and there's a thousand people around and you say, I love you, Abba. I love you. That can be your secret place. Anywhere you you can connect with God. And you can connect with God anywhere. So the secret place you carry with you. Now, here's what he says. This is one of the most interesting. This is one of the most interesting thoughts to me. So he goes, I'm going to paraphrase it now, but in verse, in verse 7, he, he says, Now, when you pray, he goes, Don't use vain repetitions like the Gentiles do. Because they, they think they're going to be heard for the number of words that they speak. And so we have pictures in the scripture of. You know, people uh, praying to false gods and they're chanting over and over and over. We see when Elijah is having the showdown with the prophets of Baal and they're chanting over and over and over all day trying to get heard for their abundance of words. He goes, hey, don't do it. Don't do prayer like the heathens where they're trying to get God's favor by praying a whole bunch. He goes, don't use vain repetitions. He goes, but when you pray, pray in this manner. And he's going to give us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. The in this manner, he goes, here's a model you can use. Here's, here's 
eight main thoughts that you can pray through when you pray. Now, (laughs) this is an interesting point. He says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathens. He goes, now, when you pray, you can use this manner, this model. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on. What's one of the most interesting things to me is, we have taken the Lord's Prayer and done with it exactly what he said, don't do with. Don't do with it. Don't make it vain repetitions. But so often, we pray, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's just, and we go, oh, we prayed it. Is that ironic? That's really ironic, don't you think? The fact that Jesus goes, don't use vain repetitions. He goes, now here's a model to pray. And we take it and we use it as a vain repetition. I thought it was ironic. The most vain repetition prayer in all Christendom forever is the Lord's Prayer. And when Jesus introduces, he goes, don't do it with vain repetitions. It's wild to me. So he's giving us a model. Let me run down the points he hits in the model. I just hit him real fast. He goes, here's what you, he goes, when you pray, connect to the Father, our Father. Connect to him. He goes, and by the way, he's in heaven and he's holy. It's a good guy to pray to. He goes, ask him for several things. Ask him to release the kingdom. Ask him to release his will. Just like he does in heaven. He goes, he goes ask him to provide for your necessities every single day. And ask him to forgive your sins as you forgive other sins. He was asking him to lead you away from temptations. You know, I thought about that. I can't really think of one time when I've said, hey, God, lead me away from the temptations that Satan has put in front of me. That's a pretty good prayer, really. Satan is all the time trying to sabotage you. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan hates you, has a horrible plan for your life. In his horrible plan, he's trying to sabotage you and tempt you and, and draw you away from God. God goes, hey, let's, let's intervene. He goes, ask the Father to lead you away from those. I love that. So there you are, going towards temptation, and all of a sudden, whoop, I just feel like I need to go over here right now. I love that. Lead me away from temptations. And deliver me from the evil one. I love that. I just, I mean, that's just a, I love that preemptive prayer strikes. You know, you can kind of get the picture of Satan's going, oh, I'm going to get him today. Oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy him today. You know, Satan hates us. He wants to destroy us. He's the destroyer. So here we go. We go, Lord, I just ask you just to lead me away from temptations and deliver me from what Satan wants to do to me today. Thank you, Lord. And there we go, walking through our life, and the devil goes, oh yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. And he goes, I'm just gonna, and all of a sudden, legions of angels come and start beating the snot out of the devil on our behalf. And the devil goes, what happened? And and the the little byline is, he asked the Lord to lead him from temptation and deliver him from evil. I mean, this, this, this is good stuff. That's a good prayer model right here. 
lead you away. Kingdom come, will be done, lead you away from temptation, deliver you from evil. And he goes, and the Father, he's over the kingdom. He's, he's over this whole thing, and he has all the power and all the glory is due him. Just remember that when you're praying. This is what he's giving us in the Lord's Prayer. And it's so obvious because he goes, don't pray this thing with vain, repetition, vain repetitions. Don't, don't do it for men's approval and don't do it with vain repetitions. And then he has this little insert about forgiveness. That was a shocker to them. In verse 14, he says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to forgive or you won't be forgiven. 14 and 15, he goes, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Let me just read it. If you, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That goes right there with verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice the as. As we forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. There's clearly a requisite of forgiveness from us for us to be able to connect to forgiveness from God. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is a disqualifier from stepping into justification. It's that, it's that big of a deal. Beloved, we have got to allow forgiveness to flow to us from God and flow through us from God. It's critical. And this is a major idea for us. It's a major idea for them in the first century. Because forgive as you're forgiven. And it is a big deal. Unforgiveness will cage you. It will jail you. It will blind you and bind you. And so he's inserting a little commentary on, on this issue of forgiveness. Because he says, forgive our sins as we forgive others. And then he moves on to fasting. Look at verse 16. I'm getting ready to land. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be an actor. With a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. You know, it just occurs to me, I wonder if they were even really fasting. I wonder if they're like sneaking a candy bar on the side. And you put on the sackcloth, you, sackcloth, you look real sad. Oh, run back. Oh, I'm fasting. You know, I just, it seems like, as I'm just reading at this moment, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, twice in two verses, when you fast, put on your hair gel. He says, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The idea here, beloved, isn't that you never tell anybody if you're fasting. So some people get, they get so like this about whether or not somebody else knows whether or not they're fasting. Let me tell you something. If you do a long fast and you start dropping weight, people are like, dude, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm fine. How come you're losing so much weight? I'm on a real diet. 
The issue here is, why? Why are you fasting? Are you fasting to look super spiritual? Are you fasting to earn something from God? Are you fasting to check the box of self-righteousness in your own heart? Are you fasting by grace for an increased measure of grace in humility before the Lord? See, our mentality in fasting is it's A, normal for Christians to fast regularly because Jesus made it clear when you fast. He said when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. Fasting is normative Christianity. It's not super spiritual Christianity. In a culture where we are very gluttonous and and very into our food, fasting seems amazing. It seems special. But in the kingdom, fasting is normal. So fasting is to be considered normal. Fasting, we don't fast to earn something from God like, you know, that servant performance mentality. We fast because we love God. And here's what fasting ultimately does. It puts us in a place where we're more susceptible because we're weak. When I'm weak, guess what? He's strong. So you put yourself in a place of voluntary weakness to allow the Lord to move through you in strength and move in you in strength. I go, Lord, I am so bullheaded, so hard-headed. Let me go ahead and voluntarily put myself in a place of weakness and my defenses are a little bit down and you just have your way with me. And ultimately... That's how we do it. We fast unto God. We, in, our, in our environment and amongst our staff, we just say, look, we have a no, don't ask, don't tell. We don't care. Nobody, it, it, nobody's going to show up and go, guess what? I'm fasting. And everybody's going to go, ooh. We don't care. It's not a badge of spirituality. It's not special. It's normative Christianity. It's Christianity 101. And so we fast unto the Father. And when you fast, you do your hair just like normal. You take a shower just like normal. You wear normal clothes. And you just, you just do life. And you just do it unto God with a heart that's free. A free heart in God, loving God. Fasting is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. Now, I know some people have you know, medical issues and, and different reasons that they're prohibited, I understand that, but you can, you can take other things and, and you can pull back from them as a, as a measure to put your heart before the Lord in a place of weakness. And so uh, I understand that. I, I believe fasting is solely about food, but if you can't fast food because you have a medical condition, go ahead and, and uh, uh, abstain from certain other things that you would normally get pleasure out of you know, media or whatever, pull back from those for a season to put yourself before the Lord in weakness. I'll tell you what is, to me, uh, even a, a more challenging fast than, say, food, is going no media. No internet, no radio, no TV. Just turn it all off. And you're like, whew, it's quiet around here. Whew. What, am I, what do I do with all this time? Great question. You pray to your father in secret. And that, I tell you, a, media, a full media fast or absten- abstention from media, sometimes that's just as powerful as a, as a, a food fast, fasting from food. And I, I like to encourage people, if you're going to fast, 
Go ahead and turn off the media thing. Do them both. I'll tell you what, you want to know how propped up we are on food and media? Go about two weeks, no media. You will be in shock about how full of ideas, news articles, videos, YouTube, all this stuff we fill ourselves with. We don't even realize it. We've got it on our phones now. We have media input all over the place. Turn it off and allow the Lord to, to speak to your heart. It's amazing when you turn off all the traffic, how all of a sudden your heart gets so much more tender to the Lord. Amen. It's normative Christianity to fast from food and to have seasons where you're just pulled back and you're consecrated to the Lord. Jesus is giving us a template for normal Christianity when you fast, when you pray, when you give to the poor. Do it for the love of God. Do it to bless the Father. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is what he's calling us to, beloved, is having a burning heart, alive in love, living for the love of God, motivated and compelled by love, rather than keeping a checklist of our own righteousness or doing it for men's approval. Some people will say to me, well, I know what's right to do, but I don't feel it in my heart. So I don't want to do anything that I don't really feel because I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, if you know what's right to do and you don't do it, that's called sin. Faith is actually engaging with God and you don't feel it. So doing righteousness unto God when you don't feel it is called godly. That's not called hypocrisy. But I've seen people sort of excuse themselves from righteous living because they quote unquote don't feel it. Let me tell you something. Most of the time, I don't feel it. Most of the time. We do what's right because it's right. And because we love God. Not because we feel it. I don't see the verse that says, if you do what's right, it will feel good. Tons of times when you do what's right, it feels bad. Awkward. You ever had to go ask forgiveness for something you did wrong? That's never felt good to me. You walk up, you're like, I just need to tell you, I am so, I am so sorry. I mean, that never feels good. The Lord ever told you to, to, to give in an extravagant way? You had your money all planned out. You ever, you ever had this one? You planned your money out. You're going to get that thing for yourself. And the Lord goes, I want you to sow that. You go, I was going to buy a this and that with that, Lord. He goes, I know. Go ahead and just give that away because you love me. You're going, I wanted a new fill in the blank. He goes, I know what you want. And I know what you need. Now go ahead and follow through and give. And we give it away. At first, that, I've had to do that a few times. That never feels good. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you, Lord. You know, outside I'm like, inside I'm like, God. Okay, okay. And then finally my heart comes around and I love him through it. Hey, that's godliness. That's not hypocrisy. That's godliness. 
You're not going to always feel it. Amen.